halfway through the month of December, more than a month into the college basketball season. Appreciate you all joining us on the CBB Central Podcast. As always, got a lot to get to. It is officially, if you if you are a college football Saturday watcher, as I am, as many of you I know are as well, um, and you've been waiting for those big Saturday slates in college basketball, well, folks, they're, they're finally here. Uh, we had a very good one uh, this past Saturday with headlined by the number one team in the country, Houston, going down to Alabama. And we've got an even better one coming up on this coming Saturday, December 17th. Uh, which has become this date on the calendar, basically the fir- the final Saturday before Christmas, has become an even one one of the better days of the of the ca- sport of, of the of of the college basketball calendar, in my opinion, in terms of the quality of games that are on on this display. So we're looking forward to that. Brad, how's the uh, how, how was your weekend of basketball watching, sir? It was okay. Um, Creighton. The Biggies needed Creighton to step up, uh, and they are and they are not they are not obliging because um, really like the, the Biggies w- would be in a fine spot if Villanova was Villanova or if Creighton you know was what they were expected to be then then you know be be fine but that uh, BYU game it was almost an all time classic the the BYU melt was like out of this world. It, they I, I think they 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 literally turned it over on five straight possessions in in the All of them court. like horrendous turnovers too. Like not like Oopie accidentally traveled. Like just throwing the ball around the air. That gets, yeah, they could airmailed it long. We had um things Rudy Williams was falling out of bounds. He hit the backboard with his pass. They had two missed free throws. It, it was absolute absolute yeah, it, meltdown. It was unconscionable to watch. We will get to Creighton's issues uh, later on, but that was like one of the craziest end of games I've ever seen because Creighton came back from like a double digit deficit in the final three minutes and did so without ever making a jump shot. Like I texted Brad this at the time. I was like, Creighton has not made a jump shot during this comeback. Their walk on took three threes. <laughs> It was unbelievable, um, but we will get to all of that in a moment, but we do have to start with some more serious news to report on the podcast, that being um, the Monday morning arrest of Chris Beard, obviously the, the head coach of Texas. I think at this point, probably one of the 10 most notable coaches in college basketball um, in a domestic violence-related matter, um, alleged to have strangled his fiance. Um, was released on um, bond, I believe it's the term, bail, bond, et cetera, whatever, uh, was released um, during the day Monday, kind of waited a while to see what was going to happen. Would he coach tonight, which seemed almost impossible? Um, he is not coaching. He has been suspended indefinitely without pay. Rodney Terry, the acting head coach for the Longhorns, Go feel free to go look up the police report it is not a very good look for mr beard um ran it by an attorney friend who said that on a scale of one to ten um this was about an 8.5 in terms of how bad it was um so not pretty um for for chris beard um just a you know a seismic 
potential change for um, one of the biggest programs in college basketball that was clearly trending up. And you know, we'll see where it ends up. But as as we are recording, Texas is down to to Rice. They seem they seem like their coach just got arrested this morning. Yeah, did not. I, I do not envy those players when they go out there just dealing with all the speculation and whatever throughout the day, but still Rice should probably still beat them. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really complicated situation. Obviously, without knowing where the legal deal will go, it's hard to really speculate as to what will happen there. But I will I will say this, like Texas Tech and Texas are very different places. Um, and at Texas Tech or at a lot of other jobs, the primary stakeholders would be the athletic director and some boosters, right? People who are invested in success, right? And I think at Texas, it is a lot more complicated, right? This is the flagship state institution at one of the of one of the biggest states in the union. Uh, it is one of the most prominent public universities, not just in the country but in the world. Um, I remember I talked to someone close to Chris Beard during right after he took the job and pointed out to me the they told me this anecdote and I think it kind of serves well here as well if you think through it enough is that at Texas Tech if you want to go use a private plane to go recruit you call up the person with the private plane and you say can I take the plane um when you're at Texas and you want to take a private plane to go recruit, you have to make sure that the president and the board of trustees and the governor don't need the private plane first. Um, there are just a lot of stakeholders who may not be quite as invested in men's basketball being good um, at Texas than there are somewhere like Texas Tech, where Chris Beard worked before, than there, than there are at other places in the country. Uh, and because of this, I think it's very challenging to predict exactly how this situation will go um and so i don't i don't want to speculate further other than that i think it will be hard it will, it will be a more challenging road at a place like texas than it would be at his previous employer on onto the basketball yes onto the basketball we will obviously have to get you as that goes there are more details regarding Chris Beard's status at Texas, we will, of course, let you know on the pod. Um, we start. Yeah. Yes. Where do you I, want to start? I, I would like to start at the top of the AP poll because okay. last night, you know, Sunday, the 11th of December, a lot of people posting their top 25s and whatnot. And the, the general sentiment was either one of two things was either A, UConn is clear number one because they've been dominant. Or B, eh, I don't know which of Purdue, UConn, or Virginia is number one, but I'm going to give Purdue the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I don't really understand why Purdue and Virginia, because that's, that's, that's the way that the AP poll broke, was Purdue one, Virginia two. I don't really understand why they would get the benefit of the doubt over UConn. I mean, UConn's got the analytics. I think that they're now number one in Ken Palm. They are, yes. Now that Alabama beat Houston on Saturday, they have the best win if you're a resume guy. At least it was the first high-end win. And, I mean, through nine or ten games, um, you know, through 
five weeks of the season. I don't know. Are are, are we really counting uh, resume quantity wins? I don't know about that. Um, Purdue's got what? They got Gonzaga, Marquette, and Duke wins, I believe. Uh, Maybe one other I can't remember right now. Florida State, but that doesn't count. Oh, Florida State. <laughs> but that was a close one, or, or at least cl- closer than you you would have thought, given the 1-9 ACC yep. bottom dweller with four players versus the 7-4 behemoth Zach Eady and, and the sharpshooting Boilermakers, right? And then you, you had over the weekend where they went to overtime with Nebraska, who we all just – um, you know, kind of pointed and laughed at Creighton for losing two. And then um, Nebraska just pushed Purdue to overtime. And then we have Virginia, who also, you know, for the people that are su- subscribing to the let's give Purdue and Virginia, you know, let's let's give the benefit of the doubt and kind of th- throw our hands up and put those three teams in any order. In terms of Virginia, I mean, they've had close games with NC Central, with James Madison, I, I know Madison was without Beekman, but, I, I mean, UConn's played games without Jordan Hawkins and Andre Jackson. Um, and that's that's all based on, you know, kind of one, one weekend where where they got the hot shooting and knocked off Baylor and uh, UCLA, who have been slipping down the poles themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I personally don't think there's a compelling case for Purdue or Virginia over UConn in a ranking right now, other than, well, they were ranked higher last week, right? And I think so many of these um, voters are just literally like, well, we had Purdue second, they lost, they didn't lose, so they stay number two because they're busy people with jobs reporting on their respective beats, and they don't have the time to like really like watch every single game and they're like, oh yeah, UConn. But like you can't, you can't, you can't go through this week early. Go, th- I, th- I think, really watch college basketball and say that Virginia has been better than UConn, or say that Purdue's been better than UConn, right? Like I, I was at PK85. I went to watch Purdue and UConn on the same day, multiple days. UConn was the team. They are the team. They are dominant in every facet of the game. They are the only team in college basketball that's in both the top ten offensively and defensively on Ken Palm, and they're damn near in the top five of both of those. Um, they're deep, they're talented. Like, to me, there was no question. They've been overwhelming against high major opponents. They've won five straight games against high majors, all of them by double digits on an average of 18 points per game. Um, they beat Alabama, as you said, a team that just beat the number one team in the country on the road and also beat North Carolina. They beat Alabama by 15 Right, like you could argue, as they said, they have the best win. They certainly have um, the most dominance. Uh, they have the metrics. They should be the number one team in the country. And but again, with the with the AP poll, he people refuse to react until a team loses. Right, like North Carolina should not have been the number one team on, in the country after like week one, week two, certainly. Like I Carolina think Bart Bart Torvik tweeted that like they it's like that they have like the defending champion belts and they can't give up the belt until they lose right yeah like north carolina had clearly before pa 85 proven they weren't the best team in the country but you couldn't change that until they lost that's what my problem is it's whatever honestly it's probably good for uconn right like we've seen how teams have struggled to deal with the number one mantle 
Purdue last year is a very good example of this. They turn around and immediately lose to Rutgers. We'll see how Purdue navigates it this time. They have Davidson this weekend in Indianapolis. You would think they should handle that relatively well, um, but we shall see. I mean, Purdue has a very good chance to enter um, the new year undefeated. They have three games left in the year. They play Davidson, New Orleans, and Florida A&M. So theoretically, they should be undefeated into the new year. Then they have home Rutgers. Again, you should win that game. You know, I mean, there's a real chance for Purdue. If they can survive road Ohio State, there's a real chance Purdue winds up undefeated all the way until February. Like, you go through the schedule, you say, okay, like, road Ohio State's probably your toughest game until February. Because right after that, they go Penn State, I believe, in Philadelphia. Nebraska, road Michigan State, not easy, but not overwhelming. Road Minnesota, home Maryland, road Michigan, right? Like those are losable games, home Michigan State and home Penn State. Then you get to like the real stretch of schedule, road Indiana, Iowa at home, road Maryland, Ohio State, Indiana, road Wisconsin, right? Like they're not going to go undefeated, but like could they be undefeated on February 1st? I don't think that's so crazy, so. But it is hard to win on the road. We know that. And now UConn is favored in every game the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, but if you if you look at their T rank page, you know, based on the probabilities, they're projected to go sixteen to four. Yep. Which, Ken Palm has a, seventeen and three. So. What did you say? Ken Palm has seventeen and three. Either way, I mean that that would be a godsend for the conference. I mean, give us us me, mediocre teams a nice. A nice Christmas present. So, so are um, you on Team UConn for number one in the country right now? I assume you are. I am, yeah. I mean, if if Purdue and Virginia like looked better recently, right? Then then it it would be a, a conversation. But it's kind of just like they didn't lose, so keep they keep, move up. keep yeah. the train rolling. Yeah. Um, we should talk about. You know, UConn has asserted itself clearly as not only one of the best teams in the country, but the best team in the Big East. We should talk about the struggling team that was picked at the top of the Big East, and that's Creighton. Creighton, we're recording as they play Arizona State. They came just tipping off. They're without Ryan Kalkbrenner in this one again. Um, we'll see where that result goes. I'm not sure that result, whether they blow out or unless they were to blow them out, um, would change my mind about where Creighton is right now, especially without Kalk. But it is kind of baffling to see how much they've fallen off here in the last two weeks. Because it would be one thing, Brad, if we went into the season and said, you know, Creighton's got all these breakout guys, Nempard, Alexander, um, Trey Alexander, uh, or excuse me, Nempard, Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, all these breakout guys. You have Paul Brenner back, you bring in Shireman, and you watch them like the first two games of the year. Well, Guys didn't jump, right? Andrew Nemhard or Ryan Nemhard. Jesus Christ. Sorry, guys. Wrong week. Ryan Nemhard. Uh, Ryan Nemhard just hasn't made the jump, or you know, Trey Alexander's turning the ball over like his job, or you know, whatever, right? Find the holes. Here are the holes. But Creighton and Maui looked like the Creighton anyone would have hoped to see. Maybe even a little bit better, right? Certainly on schedule. They were dynamic offensively. They had Kalkbrenner making an impact defensively. Um, you know, 
they were really, really efficient. I mean, 1.15 or better uh, offensive efficiency in the first two, and then not bad against Arizona. Gate took Arizona to the wire, a very good Arizona team. Then they played pretty well against Texas, right? Didn't make shots, shot four for 27 from three, and a lot of that was late. But played well enough to win against a pretty good Texas team. Texas team that's one of the top five teams in Ken Palm right now. So to then turn around and lose to Nebraska, to lose to BYU on a neutral court, look bad doing it in both cases, it's just kind of baffling to me, and I don't want to sell all the stock. But also, like, I have to be a little concerned, right? I mean, these are not good losses. I mean, it's really just a Nebraska one. And unfortunately, I didn't watch the game because I didn't expect it to be a Creighton loss. I expected Creighton to just kind of show up, win by 20 points, and, and move on. Because, like, as, as you said, I mean, neutral to Arizona and at Texas, like, if Creighton was who we thought they were in the preseason, they would lose those games on paper. I mean, Arizona's going to be a one seed. I'm, I'm convinced. Um, Texas is going to be like a three seeder. You know, or we'll, we'll, we'll see how the post Chris Beard or whatever happens there. But if, you know, they, they were a three seed sort of talent team. Um, it's just that Nebraska one was the head scratcher. And then the BYU one, you don't have Kalkbrenner, so that's not, like, really your team. But still, you sh- you still should win that game. I mean, BYU is coming off back-to-back losses to South Dakota and Utah Valley. Right. Win the and, game. And, you know, they, they shot the ball well, but it was really – they were getting the ball inside and just pounding Frederick King in there. Um, Treyor had, like, three or four just, like, beautiful uh, five-foot jump hooks. Um, really, that then then Creighton put in a walk on. It was doubling, and it was just a whole mess from there. But the, you mentioned um, Trey Alexander has been in a serious slump. Kaluma's playing well, but he, there's something off with him. He doesn't really Kaluma 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 has been the most disappointing of the group, without question to me. And like he had like 27 points the other night, but he like doesn't value possession offensively. That was, he has a lot, that was, a lot of dribbling, a lot of shots that he should make that don't go in. Uh, but his defense is great, and I mean, he, he had 27 points. He was hitting threes the other night. That game was most comparable to the Kansas game in the NCAA tournament. For, but mm. the thing I think with Kaluma that holds him back is he's a very slow decision maker. Yes. He doesn't process the game at a super high level, right? So, like, with a guy like him who's big and athletic, you just want him to, like, catch the ball, attack closeouts, um, make good decisions, like, make the dump off pass, make the right play. And I think there was this vision because of the Kansas game, oh, wow, he's going to score, he's going to score, he's going to score. But he's not really wired to do that, right? Like, he can make plays, and you will see him, like, be able to attack a straight line drive, um, stop, pop from the elbow. He had a couple of those like turnaround jumpers in Maui at the foul line that were pretty tar- pretty hard to guard. Um, and I know he was just dreadful against Nebraska and before being great against BYU. But it's like, it, you, you just watch him play, and it looks like he's thinking too much while he's playing the game, and that's not going to work. So yeah, if he thinks more than a two dribbles in a possession, everyone on great just run to the other end of the court and get get a, get get back on defense. Um, right. But, like, Nempard has been better than I think I expected. Alexander has yeah. been very, very good. 
you know, obviously Shireman. Hasn't been recently, yeah. Yes, Shireman, I think, has been a little bit better than I anticipated he would be. Um, I think he needs the ball more. And I know a lot of his stuff is like Luka Doncic, James Harden, like ball dominant, I'm going to take 15 dribbles and back everybody down and then take a kind of a tough close-range shot. But it feels like he's just not being used to his full extent. And it's not like this this Creighton team is like filled with, you know, all all decision makers and stuff. I mean, Nemhard and, and, and Shireman being the, the two primary decision makers, I think that it's a little too much Nemhard, too less Shireman on, on the ball. I think it's uh, tricky, though, because like you said, he wants to post up a little bit and you already have Kalkbrenner down there. You don't want to screw up the spacing, so they're just kind of having them run around, set screens. That's he's been that, good. But. Yeah, it, it's it, it's turning him, I think, too much into a, a long range jump shooter, um, and not using his passing enough. I mean, some of his passing in Maui was 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 really exceptional. Um, the other the other one thing with Creighton that they haven't gotten is they haven't gotten anything from their bench. No, and Farabell has hit a few shots recently, but Mason Miller's been pretty non-existent. Farabell's King had like that one good game in Maui, Fair, but yeah, Farabell's fine to eat minutes, but the other guys just you know you're not getting anything out of them. So, and even even Cockburner when when he was in there, I mean he's got to be more aggressive. Like he doesn't even look at the basket, and he'll end up with 20 points on 10 on 10 for 10 shooting without like looking at the basket once. Especially in that Texas game, he had smaller guys on him. You know, a couple dribbles and a jump hook or something. You know, um, it's all pick and roll, rim running, and you know he's he's one of the best roll men in, in, in the country, especially catching lobs. Um, and then obviously on the defensive end, BYU was getting whatever they wanted um, with him out of the game. So we'll see. Yeah, I I think Creighton is fixable. I don't know that they have the ceiling necessarily that we thought they might have, but you know, we'll see. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't get easier, right? Arizona State's been very good. That game going on right now, and they go to Marquette on Friday night in a game I will be in attendance for, heading Ooh. up to Milwaukee. Um, so that uh, maybe a little bit easier once you get three straight home games with Butler, DePaul, and Seton Hall, but like. Can they get to that point without being six and six? Can they win at least one of these two games? Especially if Kalk isn't there. Tonight's the big one. If, if uh, they they can steal this one tonight, maybe get Kalk, Brat, Kalk right. back for for Friday. Then and Ro- and Road Marquette almost would have been like if they're the third or fourth best team in the league. That's a game you kind of think you might lose in the preseason anyway. The thing about Marquette though is they do not rebound very well. Um, they did against Notre Dame. That's because Notre Dame is playing Nate Lashesky at the five. I agree. I agree. And Cormac Ryan at the yeah, four. Yeah, they're super soft. They, yeah, they, they made Marquette look like ground and pound TCU. Oso, Oso <laughs> Gadaro had uh, 18 rebounds. It's unbelievable. He, he had a double-double at halftime. Um, I mean, that was, that was an absolute rout. Um, do you think Marquette, Marquette is the, the best team in the Big East, not named UConn? And we'll just exclude Creighton from this conversation because of kind of everything they're going through. 
Do you think they're better, though, than Xavier, better than Villanova, obviously, Providence, Butler, et cetera? Um, I think I'd probably take Xavier. I think Xavier's offense is just so, so explosive with how good Boom has been, with how good Colby Jones has been, and then Nungeon Fremantle in the, in, in the front court have been super productive as well. I think, I think I'd buying, take Xavier over Marquette. I think I'm buying Marquette. Maybe it's just because I saw him on their best day. But, I mean, Cam Jones has been unbelievable in terms of his yeah. efficiency. Cam Jones is a six foot four guard who looks smaller than that, who's shooting 72% on two-point shots this year. He had some great finishes off the glass going left, like tough. Yes. Not, not right at the rim. Um, it's interesting because – so much of his game last year was just shooting the basketball. Yeah, he was just running around shooting threes. Like 70% of his shots from three. And this year, to have the game he does off the bounce, to take care of the basketball, I mean, he's been tremendous for this team. And Colex, one of the best passers in the country, also has a really unique game where he has great touch around the rim, but he's uses like a passer and a lot of high post stuff. Um, and then... Olmax is kind of their uh, kind of their what's the word? He he he's like their litmus test guy. It's not not a great term to use, but they Marquette goes as he goes because he's like their third or fourth scorer, and they and they need him to hit shots and attack the rim and finish and be be productive on the offensive end. Um, I think Jacqueline also fits that as well. Rather, Omax gives you the defense um, yeah. that Joplin doesn't. But. That's true. I, I will take Marquette. You're, Xavier is very good, though. So, For the record, I still think Creighton comes in second. I do, too. I do, too. Um, um, but just just one, one last thing on, on the Big East. It's going to be – obviously, the keys are you need UConn to give, give a few games to the middle. That would be nice. And only middle teams that are going to make the tournament, obviously. Um, no one can lose to Georgetown. Preferably, nobody loses to DePaul. And then you got to sacrifice two teams at eight and nine. Um, for, for the sake of the conference, it would be best if that was Villanova and Providence that get sacrificed there at the bottom. But I think both those teams are more talented than Seton Hall and Butler. Um, the issue is like a, a team like St. John's is going to be like. February 15th is going to be like, okay, St. John's is going to be like a 10 seed, and, and then they're going to lose to Georgetown uh, and, and just screw it up for everybody. But I will um, say I watched the Georgetown game in full this week. They played oh, yeah, Siena had an abysmal loss to, to Georgetown. Well, Worst Karm, team they've played. They lost by, they lost by seven. Carm goes in the locker room, or goes in the press conference after him, and he says, goes, I was disgusted by our effort today. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. But no, like, I will say this. You know, I, I watched George, uh, Siena versus Seton Hall back. And I watched Siena versus Georgetown. And playing against Georgetown is substantially scarier. Because everyone for Georgetown feels like a weapon. Like, you're, you're like, oh, oh, shit. Like, Brandon Murray's got the ball. He can go get one. He can go get one. Pretty much, Pierre he can go get one. He can go get one. Like, even, like, Bryson Mazzone, like, coming in, he's big as shit and makes shots. Like, they have a bunch of dudes who can go get get a bat, and I knew that. But I think when you're watching it, like as the def- as the one who as the team on defense, basically, you're like, oh my god, like this team is just 
overwhelming. Like even like like a uh, a cook can make threes. Um, you know, you've got Wahab down there, just a big physical presence. Like it's very scary, very intimidating. Where Seton Hall, like you don't really trust anyone to go make a play. It's just like okay, like who's gonna like which of their big athletic wings is gonna like straight line drive on you next? Like stop and they get get their shot blocked. Like is it gonna be in the defo? Is it gonna be Davis? Like who is it gonna be? Yeah, as someone who just was transfixed to a 45-43 game, which I watched in its entirety, um, Seton Hall does not have any offensive weapons that you no should weapons. be scared of. My only, uh, my only but to my only caveat is Georgetown again. And this is why Seton Hall will be better than Georgetown. Is I have never seen a team make more just like head scratching decisions than Georgetown. Like they they played Seattle like they had literally never seen a scouting report. Sienna's backup point guard, for instance, is this Turkish freshman who his book is like, okay, he's quick and like can get in the paint, but like just never never looks to shoot. Never looks to shoot. Always is like trying to dish out. Always trying to dish out. So he, he comes in the game and immediately on 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 two straight possessions, he drives, help comes over. So you, you've got like a big man rotating over to like try to block his shot. And he just dumps it off for a dunk twice in a row. And they're just like, what? Like everyone on the broad, everyone, the, the broadcast, like, what are they doing? Like, what? Like uh, they had Dr. John Giannini, the former LaSalle coach, on the broadcast, and he kept saying, you know, Georgetown's strength is really their their individual talent, but collectively, it, it's not there yet. <laughs> 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 That's the nicest way he to this team is so poorly coached. But it was like, so 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 you give up two dunks because of this. Then the next possession, again, the scouting part of this kid is he's not going to shoot the ball. He doesn't want to shoot the three. He doesn't want to shoot jump shots. Next possession comes down the floor. He catches. He kind of thinks about a jump shot. The the guy comes flying in to close him out and fouls him shooting a three. What are you doing? Like, there were so many plays like this, like horrendous turnovers, really poor decision-making on defense. You know, Akuka Cook is supposed to be, like, one of the best switch defenders in the country. He would switch on to guys. That's who? Huh? Says who? I mean, apparently that's what Georgetown believes he is. That's what they said in the production meetings to the broadcast. Trust He's me. He's a very good switchable defender. He is very good. He can guard guards, right? They keep they kept getting the matchups they wanted where a Cook is, like, defending Jace Johnson, and Sharon's, like, fourth-best player. And he's driving. And, like, here comes Wahab for help. Here comes Brennan Murray coming down to dig. Like, what are you doing? Like, what, 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 what are you thinking here, buddy? And they just make so many of those plays tonight. So... Georgetown, Georgetown, Georgetown. Yes, they're, they're going to pick someone off this year. Like last year, you last year I was never afraid they were going to beat someone because they had no players. But like, what's the path? They don't they don't have a coach that's going to out game plan you, and they don't have any players this year. They don't have a coach that's going to out game plan you, but at least they got players. So that's my biggest take of the day. And Seton Hall will make maybe even more head scratching turnovers and decisions on the offensive end, but their defense is, is good. Um, but I thought I thought the interesting Seton Hall Sunday versus uh, what they've been is they they've they've made a mountain out of a molehill too many times, if you will. Like you have a couple of bad things go your way, and all of a sudden they just fold. And I just yeah. thought against against Rutgers there was a lot of opportunities for that to happen. I remember like I got to four in the second half a couple times, maybe like eight minutes ago, and you're like you're just waiting for like Andre Hyde to hit a three and end the game. Um, well, like. The fact that Kadaria Richmond has gotten worse and Trey Jackson has gotten worse. 
means that this is literally a team of fifth best players. Yes. You know, in the preseason when I was like, all right, Seton Hall will be like a 10 seed, I think. Their defense is going to be really good. Richmond will be will be good. Trey Jackson will be good. Samuel will be good. I mean, Yetna hasn't played yet, which, I mean, he, 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 he could be the third best player, but they still have enough without him. Um, but the fact that Richmond and Jackson, not, not only do they not take a step, they're definitely worse than last year, means that Seton Hall just does not have the talent level to compete. Um, they have no one really who can create a shot. And feels like, anecdotally, whenever I watch them, Tyrese Samuel's playing well, he picks up foul X, and he gets pulled immediately, and then everything goes, goes to shit. And Shaheen just won't won't put him back until he hits his magic threshold to, you know, okay now now it's the second half you can play up oh, third foul okay back to the bench, um and like they have Trey Jackson at the five they have the Defo at the five it's just it's it's complete mess there's no shooting there's no creation, um and I think Seton Hall's destined for eighth or ninth in the Big East. Could be, I think that's probably right at this point. I think like. Honestly, I think they're probably ninth right now. But and it's it sounds like at least they're at the, the uh, beat beat reporters and such are asking, you know, oh, is Yetna coming back today or not? So maybe he'll be back soon. Um, they they need him for some interior scoring and some offensive rebounding. Um, but talk, talk about a team that had a super eventful week. Their opponent. The Rutgers Scarlet Knights, who they were they were infected with the turnover bug against Seton Hall, and then against Ohio State, seemingly had a one, and then they had that goofy play where I didn't I didn't catch it in a real time. I was I was watching the game, but I, I didn't notice that Tanner Holden was standing out of bounds um, one second before he made the game winning shot. Um, but talk about back to back crazy games where Rutgers now put themselves in a bit of a hole. I don't know that they, I think they're still okay. Okay to make but, a tournament, but yes, agree. They're now what? Six and four. They have all also have a neutral court loss to temple. Um, yes. They're they looking the like a, age. Well, they need that one. To yeah. Be like a resume topper. Um, I wanted to touch on the Houston Cougars and the, their game against Alabama. Houston was the number one team in the country. They go down to Alabama, 71 to 65, uh, led by double digits in this ball game with 16 minutes to go, but 44 to 29, and just you know let it slip away. And I think saw some of the weaknesses with this Houston group. They got out rebounded by Alabama, which is very surprising um, considering the width they play. Um, you know, did turn Alabama over a little bit, but you know. I think Houston's inability or Houston's lack of real shot creation outside of Marcus Sasser really hurt them in this game. And I think will continue to hurt them against great teams because and I, I'd said this kind of from the jump, like Houston being number one was not an issue to me. The metrics loved them, whatever. But like people said, Hey, oh, wow, Houston looks head and shoulders better than everyone else. It's like, no, they just, they just haven't played against elite teams. They weren't at the PK-85. They weren't at the Mountain Invitational. They weren't at Battle for Atlantis. If they played Kansas or Duke or, you know, 
Alabama or Gonzaga or Purdue or UConn, we would know a little bit more, but they haven't played in one of these events. So while Virginia is beating up on, or while Baylor's losing to Virginia, uh, while Illinois is losing to Virginia, yeah, while all these teams are playing people, Houston, no, they're going to competition. And I, I just felt like they hadn't been through a war like Alabama was able to put them through. And on the other side, I think you have to be unbelievably impressed with Alabama to win a game like this with four freshmen playing huge roles in the second half with your best player, Brandon Miller, going 0 for 8 from the field to win on the road with all those things stacked against you. That's really impressive and should really scare people about the tide because the Noah Clowney kid is awesome. Continues to get better. Jaden Bradley had his best game of, of his career. He was terrific in the second half. Um, you know, for them to navigate that game with Javon Quinterly playing really poorly, with Mark Sears struggling a little bit with turnovers, um, while shooting only, you know, 30% from three and missing 12 free throws to win on the road at Houston, one of the best in the country. Whew, I mean, that's, that's, that should scare people. Absolutely. And, and in terms of Houston, we get them with Virginia next weekend, right? Correct. See, I, I'm I'm willing to if uh, you're willing to put this on our uh, on our bets, I'm I'm willing to say that the one seeds are going to be UConn, Houston, Tennessee, and Arizona. I, I'm I'm so I'm so so confident in this right now. I mean, I'm not ready to make a pick. So. All right. But if you want to put it down, feel free. I'm just noted for the record. I, I think I'm willing to put it down against the field. Fair enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm 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 not selling Houston clearly after this game. I mean, after that Virginia game, which is certainly winnable, their schedule is going to ease up with only one other team in the American being NCAA tournament level in in Memphis. Are you concerned, though, with Houston? Or I guess you were one of the lower people on Houston in the beginning, in the preseason to begin. So maybe you're not. Right. I'm. I think they're still like at worst a top eight team or something. Yeah. They, they were never. They were never the clear number one that people were claiming. Um, that that was just a, a another instance of I think it was. Trying, trying to think which team lost. Oh. oh I think once Texas lost Illinois, right? Everyone was like, oh, that's... Well, that's they were already number one because Carolina and Gonzaga had lost, and Houston was number three in the preseason, so... There was... Maybe it was the UNC-Iowa State game where UNC lost, everyone's like, oh, that's... It, it's a foregone conclusion. Houston's number one now, and I... I, I was always very confused by that because uh, their talent is not overwhelming. Um... They're also just not getting a ton of consistency out of Arsenault and Jarris Walker. Uh, Arsenault played eight minutes in this game against Alabama. He's had two points and two points in his previous two games. Um, you know, he had that breakthrough game against Oregon, 15 points in 19 minutes. He looked really good. Since that ball game, he has a combined 11 points the next five games. So, And with Jarris, I mean, Jarris is super talented. We talked about how good he could be on the offensive glass. He's been really impactful um, steal and block rate wise, but you know, 
He still had two points against St. Mary's and one point against Kent State in a close game. Thing, you know, we're down down to the wire in. So it's been a little ebb and flow with him. And those guys will come along because I think it's harder to learn that system than it is to learn other systems. But it's not, it's just not been immediate. And look, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll just say this: like, if I'm any coach in the country playing Houston, and you tell me before the game that Jamal Shedd takes 20 shots, I'm happy with the result. Regardless of what happens, Jamal Shedd can shoot eight for 20 like he did in this game. He can shoot 12 for 20. He can shoot 16 for 20. He can shoot two for 20. If I'm going to get beat by Houston and it's, be- and it's because Jamal Shedd beat us offensively, I will live with that result all day. Do not let Sasser beat me. Do not get overwhelmed on the offensive glass. Do not give up a ton of layups. If Jamal Shedd wants to beat me off the bounce, Jamal Shedd is more than welcome to do so in my mind. Well, switching gears here. Well, I, I guess I, before, but I just wanted to hit with real quick with Alabama's win. Tennessee just had a great win over Maryland. We could talk about that in a little bit. Uh, what are we talking about now, if you want? Who's sure, let's, in the SEC? Is it Alabama? Tennessee, definitely. Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky. Definitely Tennessee. I, I, I was just willing to to do a ten, Tennessee is, is one of the one seeds versus That's the field. True. I mean, true. I, I definitely made a concerted effort in the preseason to to not focus too much on good offensive teams and try to you know give good defensive teams their due as well. Um, but I, I definitely underrated defense in the preseason and Tennessee with their their size and their athleticism. Um, their their defense is scary good and and, it, and they're currently getting enough scoring. Um, the uh, Maryland game, you know. Maryland claws back, but I, I mean that's Maryland's like a top twenty team in the country, and you know t- Tennessee c- control most of that game um, w- w- with that defense, and then having guards like Ziegler and Vescovy and Key who, who who can hit shots. I mean this is a this is a scary team, and I think with the Jerome Brazil injury, uh, Kentucky's not coming along as quickly as we thought. Um, is that is that Alabama versus Tennessee at the top? So my thing with Tennessee is I still don't love that it takes that. They struggle to get easy baskets. Right, They're a team that when they're not able to run their sets, I think struggle to get really high quality looks. And I think you saw that in the second half against Maryland when Maryland was able to kind of drag the game out. Vescu was having an off shooting day. They were able to, you know, they were able to put Tennessee in some difficult positions, right? Like again, when you're going through and you're saying, you know, Olivier Kamala took 13 shots. I'm tipping my cap saying, go ahead, beat us with Olivier Kamala, right? Go ahead. Beat us if Julian Phillips wants to shoot the ball. Julian Phillips was one for 10 in this game. Julian Phillips is solid. He's a very good athlete, but he's under 40% from two this year, right? Like he's under 20% from three. Beat me, please, right? Like I, I do, I just do not want to let Zakai into the lane. I do not want to let Vescovy and Key get open looks off of staggers and pin downs and some of the stuff, some of the actions that they run. I'm going to live with everything else. And Tennessee is so good with all the other stuff, right? And same thing with Houston, right? Very similar in this regard. Tennessee's going to turn you over. Tennessee's going to rebound the piss out of the basketball. And they're going to really guard, right? They're going to defend the rim. They're going to close out the shooters. They're going to do a tremendous job with their game plan defensively. 
all that thing make them super super high floor but i think ceiling wise i still really like alabama and arkansas because arkansas without trayvon brazil does hurt a lot but they still have three guards who can flat out create right and you talk about march and what wins in march we saw this with seem like miami a season ago Teams that overachieve in March tend to have guards who can go make their own shot, right? North Carolina last year is a terrific example as well. Nick Smith, Ricky Council, Anthony Black, three guys who can do that. That's something that I love with this group. Jordan Walsh, I think, is starting to come into his own. They really need him to make threes because that's the most overlooked part of Trayvon Brazil's game for, for Arkansas. Everyone talks about the athleticism, the dunks, the switchability. Trayvon Brazil is still leading this team in three-point makes this season. He's at 11 Council and Black are also at 11. No one else has more than seven. Um, this team does not have a ton of shooting. So they need Jordan Walsh to be a confident three-point shooter for, for this group. He made two against Oklahoma. That's a big step in the right direction for him. Um, because otherwise, you just get into a lot of situations where teams are going to help heavy. Help heavy on drives. Help, um, you know, blitz ball screens. Do do whatever they can to make them make, make the three guards uncomfortable with the ball in their hands. Because... That's being tricked. But I still love this group, and certainly Alabama has proven it can be in that high-level tier. Like I, I was not overwhelmed by Alabama against Michigan State, and I wasn't overwhelmed against North Carolina in the game that went in four overtimes. But I started to look back at the you know UConn game and think about the punch that they gave to UConn when they battled back from 15 down to tie the game, and I'm like, okay, that means something to me now more than it did when I was watching it live. And they are physical up front. They are terrific on the glass. Um, they do have so many weapons and options. They have, you know, the superstar Brandon Miller, who you know, struggled a little bit shooting the ball lately, but has a big time, big time three point stroke. I, I think it's very close. I think right now, I think the team that I would pick to win the regular season is probably Tennessee. But who who's going to go further to the tournament? I, I like Arkansas. I like Kentucky. And I might even like Alabama over Tennessee just because of the quality of shots that they're able to get offensively. It's funny on Arkansas how all offseason we heard about Jalen Graham at the five, Trevon Brazil at the five, and it turns out it's it's a full dose of the Mitchell twins. Mitchells, baby. Mitchells. He's been uh, really good. Makai's been awesome. Yeah. They were always good players. It was just they were always freaking out and transferring. At one point, they were going to transfer to Morgan State, and now they're Starting for Arkansas, or one starting, the other is the backup for Arkansas. All right, where to next, Brad? Um, any uh, oh oh, I, I wanted to touch on the injuries. Um, yes. you have Trevon Brazil for Arkansas out for the year, Jalen Llewellyn for Michigan out for the year. Uh, now we have we we touched on the Kalkbrenner one that's dragging Creighton down. Um. Any other notable injuries? I feel like that there was at least one other one that I'm not thinking. I do feel like there was another. I don't remember what it is. Jalen Hutchfino has been out for Indiana. That has, I think, hurt them a good bit. Malik Hall um, still out of Michigan State, right? Yeah, Malik Hall has been still out. Yeah. Um, there's been, there's been a couple but on, on Llewellyn, um, with him out now, it's the Doug McDaniel show. Llewellyn is, has not is, played is, well. No, he, he had not. Uh, but now they're down to one point guard, and it, it's a freshman. Um, a five foot, like, nine freshman of that, yeah. Is this good enough to get 
Michigan to the NCAA tournament. I mean, we were talking last time, they have like 11 good teams in the Big Ten. I kind of wrote off Penn State at number 11, even though they're definitely tournament caliber. Um, could, could, could Michigan be 11th now, or do you think that they can still keep, keep their head above water here? I think they could be. I mean, I mean, look, look, the grind in this league, when you talk about what Northwestern and Nebraska have proven to be able to do this year, is going to be scary. Because Northwestern and Nebraska are not great teams by any stretch. Northwestern's 185th in offense on Ken Palm. Um, Nebraska has really had to grind out some games as well. But those two teams really defend. They're really physical. And they both, I think, exceeded expectations clearly at this point. And I don't know, I look at this group, I look at this league and I sit there and I look at Michigan and I see a team that does struggle a little bit defensively, that does have a freshman point guard that, you know, has not shot it great from three. Um, and I worry about it, right? Like I worry, how are they going to win? Like how, how are they going to get over the hump in games? Especially given the fact that Kobe Bufkin has really not shot the ball. At a very high level. Kobe Bufkin shooting seven for 30 from three so far this season. So, I mean, yeah, I'm worried. I think, I, I certainly don't think you'd call him a lock in the tournament. I, I wouldn't feel confident saying that. I think this Penn State team is really good. To win at Illinois is no small feat. I don't care about leadership, whatever. Like, this, this Penn State team is dynamic offensively. Jalen Pickett deserves to be in the All-American discussion right now with the way that he's playing. You know, yes, it's going to be super up and down, right? You're going to have games like they had against Michigan State where they shoot 8 for 27 and don't really have a chance. But, I mean, you watch this team and the way that they shoot the ball, the way they take care of it, the way they share it, I have a hard time saying that this team can't be a tournament team. I think they absolutely have the opportunity to be. Talent-wise, they're there. It's just gonna come. I mean, the, the Big Ten cannot get 11 teams in. They would have to, I agree. Um, like, script the outcomes to get the exact right mix of of. Yeah, well, of that's, that, I think that's one of the things. That's one of the issues with Nebraska and Northwestern being feistier, right? You would right. need Nebraska, Northwestern, and Minnesota to all be like three and 17. I don't think either. I don't think Northwestern and Nebraska are. And honestly, again, Minnesota's been really disappointing for what their talent is, but like. Do you really think that Jamison Battle and Dawson Garcia are going to go two and eighteen in this league? I I sold all my Dar- all my Garcia stock during that DePaul beatdown, and that was DePaul with with you and I. But still, it is um, going to be really interesting this offseason ahead for for Minnesota because they're excited about Dennis Evans, they're excited about Cam Christie. But this team is, like, by far the worst team in the Big Ten. They've got these decent young freshmen like Farrell Payne and uh, Josh Ola-Joseph and Braden Carrington. But none of them are like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a superstar. I don't think it's a guarantee you're getting Gar- Garcia back given his track record and battles in his fourth year of college and has not played well, but is a guy that has a little bit of NBA buzz at six foot seven and his ability to make shots. So... Very interesting offseason. They need those guys to come back, and they need guys to develop. They need to run it back one more time and hope that it's enough, because otherwise, 
I don't think Ben Johnson is long for Minneapolis. I mean, they're like sub 200 right now in in, in the analytics. Um, which one, you know, if 150, 167 in Ken Palm right now, but started at 109, so trending. Oh, I thought net. I saw them at like 220 or something. Maybe that was net. Um, Probably net, yeah. Given that they're down but, like 60 spots in the preseason, yeah, they've lost five but, in a row. Last season, their roster looked on paper to be completely devoid of talent. Um, like, w- less talent than, like, what what Louisville has this year, right? It looked like Cal-level talent. Um, yes. And they were feisty. And they came in last place, but it still looked like the arrow was pointing up. This year, they have more talent, right? They had Dawson Garcia. Jameson Battle proved to be, you know, this great Big Ten player. Um, and... A couple injuries to Fox and Enon, but still, um, those guys wouldn't have made the difference between this clear last place Minnesota team. Uh, you know, it's not like the Fed. They, 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 like, they might be like a. They might be like where Northwestern is right now. They right. But still, it's, it's that's that's not enough, right? Because year three, where would they be? They wouldn't be in the middle of the league. You know, you 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 have to move up, right? You can't just collect last place finishes and say, oh man, you you guys were feisty. It is Yeah. Not Spe- pretty. Speaking of not pretty, any uh any uh, any change to the idea that Kenny Payne could get fired anytime soon? So they got worked by Florida State. I mean, I'm I'm gonna say no as long as they be Florida A&M. I mean, Sam Sam Vecini, who is very like benefit of the doubt with yes, you know, he's very an, anti-reactionary with, well, with this stuff. Both both the players, very, and he, coaches. Doesn't, he doesn't want to fire coaches. He'll be critical of coaches, but like, that's a good coach. But he he said today that he would consider firing Kenny Payne. He's like, I would never say that about one year in for a coach, but I think I've seen enough. It is scary. I mean, like, and someone tweeted it at me, and I, I don't know, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but like, it is worth noting, like, again, that there is a little bit of talent. These guys aren't completely devoid of talent, and and I think I think it was Sam who pointed this out. I could be wrong. The fact that a team that is starting Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Jalen Withers and JJ Trainer, or who's their fifth starter? Sidney I, Curry. I think it's Trainer. It was. It's been mostly Curry at the at the four. Okay, but he's only playing ten minutes a game. So regardless, right? Let's say Trainer. Right, a team that's playing basically three forwards is 314th in offensive rebounding rate and 348th in two point percentage offense. And 322nd and two-point defense. What are they doing out there? What, 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 what are you accomplishing? And, and, and it does speak to – and, again, the, the defensive stuff, okay, maybe you're just a bad defensive team. But off of the rebound, that, that just means they're not going to the glass. Like, they're not trying to rebound. And, like, I understand Kenny Payne comes from Cal and from the NBA. Maybe that's not like an offensive rebounder's – galore but like 
Look at the I mean, Oscar Sheboy is the best offensive rebounder in the country. Right, but I don't know if Cal's like track record is necessarily like send everyone to the glass. I but either way, right? Like, how can you look at this roster and say we we can't make shots, we don't do much well, and not say we should be counting hammering the glass, hammering for second possessions? They don't even try. Right, your whole team is six and eight. That's like the only thing you're good at. I was on the uh, Louisville message board today. It's just a a pit of despair. And like uh, one guy was like, "There's there's there's no way Kenny Payne gets fired until after year two. This is, <laughs> and it made me chuckle. Just think about what it's going to be like next year. Well, um, that's the thing, right? It's kind of like Georgetown, where yeah, like, what's salvageable here? Is there a single guy on this roster you want back? Well, I would take LL back, I think. Right. Right. Like 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 Georgetown was able to sell to the portal this year that we didn't have any talent last year. We're gonna get Georgetown basketball right. We just need the talent. So could Louisville it, though. Why wouldn't they do the same thing? Right, but like if you look if if you're a transfer right now, how could you have any faith in Kenny Payne? At least Patrick Ewing made the NCAA tournament the year prior. Fluky run, but still, I, I mean, what transfer would put their their career, their livelihood, in the hands of the man who is running one of the best programs in the country into the ground? I don't think kids see it that way. Kids see, oh, it's a rebuild. You know, coach is working hard. He's a good guy. Yada yada yada. But like, Leonard, seriously, like, who who on this team would you want back? Um, I, I guess take Holmley Hatfield back because he's young. Tyler Lance because he's young. Withers because I, I guess. Okay, how about this? Who would you want back? Withers and James are your best players, right? And else, yeah. Would you? Who would you want back if you had to promise them a starting spot? I would promise. I guess. James and Withers? No. I'm, I'm voting no on either. <laughs> Jalen Withers. Jill you need Withers. guys to come back. You can't turn it around with a, literally a whole new roster. I don't see why not. I mean, even Mississippi State brought back Tolu Smith and Shaquille Moore. Yeah. Tolu Smith's good at basketball. Right, but what what team can we point to? That literally started from scratch and built like a tournament roster. Um, Texas last year. Courtney Ramey, Andrew Jones. Okay, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, Corey Gibson at New, uh, Northwestern State right now. They're completely new guys. They're like seven and two. Beat TCU. All right, they can get all those down transfers. Yeah. So, no, no, no. I don't know. I, I just think it's so far from fixing that I almost would just be like, all right, who in the portal is good? Who wants to come? Let's give it a and shot. And start, start from scratch, yeah. Well, but it, it also, again, it will, be the, it will be potentially the same issue that Georgetown, we talked about, Georgetown potentially having in the preseason, where, like, what happens if Georgetown makes, like, 
the like sneaks into the NIT this year? Like, what do you do? Does that mean like Ewing safe? That's not the standard at Georgetown, but it'd be such an improvement, right? Like, like what happens if Louisville is like 90th in Ken Palm next year? That's a massive improvement if they're 250 this year. <laughs> but you can't, you can't, like Louisville still 90th is a is a catastrophe. So we'll see. They have Western Kentucky this week and Florida A&M the week after or this weekend. The Florida A&M game is like an all-time sickos game. I look forward to it. Um, we'll go from there. I will say, Brad, I wanted to mention this on the ACC. I think there's a team, and I mentioned it on Field 68 after dark last night with Geo Baker and Megan McEwen. Uh, if you want to check that out on YouTube or on, I believe, Apple Podcasts and wherever else it gets left, Twitter, uh, what, have, what have you. Um, I think Virginia Tech's really good. I, like, I, I think they could win the ACC. Win the ACC? Oh, my God. Do, do you think they're that much better than Virginia? Or that much worse than Virginia? Well, Duke, too. I mean, let's not. We Do we think Duke is going 15-3 and three in this league? Or, excuse me, uh, are they, do, you think, do you think Duke is going 16-4 and four in this league? No. I think they could. Right, but Duke's I think, history. I think UNC could. Duke's, Duke's history is already pretty clear in terms of what they do in this league. They almost never win the whole win the, win the thing outright. This is John Shire's first year. He has no oh, history. Yeah, John, John Shire is just better than Coach K. Yeah. Listen, the Kevin Ollie won a national championship taking over somebody's team. So, I, I mean, this 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 was a a, a Duke branded roster. Like it, it was, it is loaded with talent. I agree. Um, and it's not like that they've played poorly this year. Virginia Tech has had some real questionable outcomes. I, I have they? I was watching down the stretch what, where they what, almost what folded against Charleston Southern. What? Okay, Charleston Southern, sure. What's our questionable outcome otherwise? But they lost by college two on the road to College of Charleston. He's very good. Ten and one College of Charleston. That's smoke and mirrors, man. Don't don't fall for it. Don't be ranking College of Charleston in. in I'm not ranking them, in a top 25. I, I, I saw them rank somewhere. I remember who. I think Seth Davis, but I could be wrong. Virginia Tech, smoke and mirrors. Virginia Tech led most of the way in that game. Lost it. Lost it at the end to a good team on the road. They're 10 and one. They beat in Penn State. They beat North Carolina. You just said could go 16 and four in the league. They beat them by eight and had that game, you know, in control the whole way. Led by 15 with 10 minutes left. Blew the doors off Dayton. Controlled Oklahoma State from the opening tip for the most part. I mean, like. Had one like little slug, sluggish stretch. Padula's playing great. Basili's playing great. Justin Mutz is terrific. Like they are, they are definitely a tournament team, and they are probably a single-digit seed. I think they can win the league. I don't think there's like the fact to me that there's 20, 21 spots in the AP poll difference between Virginia and Virginia Tech right now is absurd to me. It's absurd to me. Because watch them, watch the two teams. I don't see a huge difference in terms of their level. I think Mike Young's terrific. He's a very good coach. I, I, I mean, talent level wise, they don't match up with Virginia, UNC, 
or or Duke. And now UNC is going to have to turn it around. They don't, right? they They're don't, not playing they don't, well. They don't match up with Virginia's talent level. No. You think Virginia overpowers them talent wise? Yes. Reese Beekman's like on NBA draft boards. I mean, Jaden Gardner would be the best player on Virginia today. I mean, I'm really worried about. It. Have you seen how well Padula's playing this year? Padula's 17, four and four efficiently right now. Vasily shooting 46, 40, 43% from three. Is he like a career 20 something sh- shooter? Vasily? Yeah. I mean, he he made 43s last year, and he shot. He's he's a career 34% three point shooter. And he made 43s last year. He can shoot the three. How about this? I mean, Darius Maddox is shooting 27% from three, and this team is still in really good shape. Darius Maddox shot 51 from three last year. When he gets it going, watch out. By the Hokies. I also just think I think they'll be solid too. Like I think they're gonna they're gonna win those mid-tier games against you know. Syracuse and Clemson and Pitt. Talk about a, and I, I think Loyola really is turning the corner. Talk about a disastrous loss. Clemson getting blown out on a neutral by by by, by Loyola after already having a road loss at South Carolina. What a disaster! I mean, how, how did Clemson beat Penn State? What? How did Clemson beat Penn State? They looked horrible against Loyola. It was really quite something. I mean, I I, I will say this like. I had talked to the Loyola staff during the week, and I had been like, what do you think of Clemson? Like, how good do you think they are? Um, you know, because I, in my head, I was like, Clemson's not very good. They you know, lost South Carolina. That's a winnable game. And they're like, no, no, Clemson's like a tournament team. Clemson's really good. Like, watch, go watch the Penn State game. Go watch how they played Iowa. You know, lost by three, three to Iowa. Go watch the way they beat Wake Forest by 20, right? Like, go watch these teams. They're really good. I was like, okay. I'm, I'll just watch when you guys play them and they were just dreadful, but like what a missed opportunity, right? Because yeah, this is a, this is a huge year for Brad Bonnell, hot seat year from what I've been told. Um, tournament or bust, I believe is really the, the vibe around there. And now you have two losses that probably won't age that well. Loyola is turning the corner. Loyola, I think Loyola has a decent chance to get the top 100 and be a um, Q2 game, but you lost by 18 on neutral court bad no and the 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 acc is in a really weird spot because you know we talk about how it's down i think they're seventh in t rank conference rank but really it's just a have and have nots where you might even get seven teams in the tournament like there's seven teams that could make it probably only get five or six Uh, but it's just the bottom is just an anvil right it's just an anchor dragging you down and well, so and you really got to go ahead sorry you really have to be careful if you're miami virginia tech um unc not to lose any of these games against the bottom because uh, it could really hurt you uh well, an opportunity i mean city clemson how about nc state well see nc state when i watched them against butler i was like wow this team looks really good this this looks like a clear tournament team I thought they were very good against Kansas, too. And I was looking through it th- this this afternoon. I was going to actually decide to hold it for the pod. Um, what a guy. They, they have the loss to Pitt. 
and they have a loss to Kansas, right? And Miami. They're, and in Miami, and their wins at the time we were like, oh, okay, Dayton and Butler. I don't think either are going to age particularly. Uh, Dayton, Dayton will be fine. I think Butler is going to get pushed toward the bottom of the Big East. And the fact that they've already lost to Pitt, it's like the, the, there are too many minefields for, for a team like that. Pitt. They lost to Pitt at home. Right. The, there, there, there are too many spots to 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 slip up there. And when when there are teams out there like um, who who potentially could be bubble teams, I mean, Seton Hall has wins over Memphis and at Rutgers. Memphis has wins against Auburn. You know. Some of the SEC has some good wins. And then NC State is going to be holding its breath every other day playing these bottom-tier ACC teams. Uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, the pit loss is yeah. disastrous at home because that's potential Q3, and it's game you got to hold serve in. Um, they're going to come out of an on-con without a Q1 win because Dayton and Butler on neutrals are probably going to be Q2. Um, they have Furman this week at home. That's like a tricky Q2, Q3 that they could easily lose. They have Vandy on the neutral this week. That's Q2, Q3 again, could probably lose that game. So again, like you're going to get to conference play. It's like, all right, better find a way, right? And you're going to have to steal some, right? You're going to have to go to Clemson. You're probably going to win. You got to win that game. You got to win it. You know, you, you can't lose at Georgia Tech. You can't lose, uh, you know, you can't lose at Boston College. You can't lose at home. Home to Wake Forest. You can't lose at home to Clemson. You can't lose at home uh, to Florida State. Right? And Florida State's gonna be turning around by February with Bob Miller and you know whatnot. So Dusan Vorchic is out. Yes, Isaiah Miranda in. Just enroll. Uh, we'll see if he even plays. Um, I I we I, we, I, I wouldn't think the seven one skinny big man doing the Jarnell Stokes is gonna work out, right? Jarnell Stokes uh, was like a big monster physical dude. Um, Isaiah Miranda is like a very skinny seven-one jump shooting big. Um, yes, I, I watched I, I, I watched Isaiah Miranda over the summer. Um, I went up to Milwaukee and saw him play, and I was like, this guy thinks he's really good, right? This is this this guy is like he he actually like there was a little bit of similarity to what Gigi Jackson was doing in UIBL just on a much lower circuit playing NY2LA was Isaiah Miranda was like, all right, I'm better than everyone. I'm big. I'm going to just like dribble the ball and like do whatever I want. And so I texted you, this is July 21st. I said, Isaiah Miranda is not very good. Right now he's only good at being taller and more athletic than you. And you responded, yes, seven foot one jump shooter will probably suck for like three more years. Which will probably be on a second school, and then he'll be like, "Oh my God, this guy's dominant." Um, yes. But I, I don't think he's gonna make an impact for NC State this year. He's gonna go like NC State, who wasn't even on his list of finalists. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost yeah, almost like they lost uh, they lost the boy Mohorchich, and they're just like, "All right, here's the bag. Go ahead." Well, originally before I saw it pop across the ticker that Mr. Miranda was uh, enrolling mid-year. I was losing my mind. Like, how does NC State get another commitment from a kid who's never going to make it to campus? Yeah. <laughs> like, how are they getting another prep to pro? How have they landed right. every single kid that's ever gone prep to pro? Because first it was going to be USC. He took two official visits there. And then I was like, oh, no, maybe it'll be 
Georgetown. It's like, oh no, it's gonna be Louisville. It's like, oh no, Oregon was his dream school all along. And nope, NC State. Yeah, Georgetown doesn't Georgetown's other commit like isn't isn't he boys with Isaiah Miranda? Marvell Allen? I'm not I'm not sure. I think that's a uh, thing. I remember Ewing went up and saw him the day I was there and I was like, ah, oh, big Pat, you know. Miranda, anyway. the Rhode Island native. Uh, yes. There's usually one guy at, at 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 most a year from Rhode Island who's a high major guy. Um, so it's always an interesting one to follow. But. He's been like a notable recruit forever, though. Yeah. Cool. I think he was just big early. I was like, oh boy. So, uh, anything else that you are particularly wanting to discuss? No, I think we need to wait another week for a little more Mountain West talk. Uh, not a ton has things happened. Are, we things, are a little posi- things, are, things are relatively positive there, I will say. I think I'm buying some of these teams. I saw some people saying four bids, which I am not ready no, to no, say no. four bids. Well, the only reason, I would, the only reason I, I, why I'd be open to it, or maybe optimistic about the possibility, is like the A-10's hemorrhaging bids. Like that's two or three that's down to one. The Missouri Valley, especially now that they don't have Loyola and Drake just got housed by uh, Richmond, is one. Um, you know, the Conference USA might be two, but, like, I don't think I have to buy any means a lock. Um, you're just going to go through that. Someone's got to take these mid-major bids. Even, like, the WCC, like, BYU's not NCAA. Um, San Francisco is not NCAA. So, like, that's two-bid WCC last year was three. Or four. It was three. Three, three, yeah, because BYU three. didn't make it. BYU fell off a cliff. Um, so you kind of worry about I think I think you worry about that more than anything. I mean the uh, door is wide open for we said NC State, Wake Forest, um, half the big east, um, Utah. Utah, half, yeah. Shout out to Craig half Smith. Half the half the Big Twelve, Old Miss, you know whoever survives it in ninth and 10th place in the big 10. Um, so there, there are Kansas a bunch State, of spots open 12th right in now. the big 12, 12 in the big 12, 10th, the big 12 season. Is that going to work? No, they're going to be turning the caliber, but wind up with like 12, you know, like 12 wins. So it's going to be tough. no Kansas state is nowhere close. I don't think Oklahoma or Oklahoma state are tournament teams. So I think they're max at seven. Yeah. I think the big 12 is a little bit stronger bottom or a little uh, weaker bottom, excuse me, than there has been. Oklahoma State is a little disappointing. I mean, even Texas Tech's a little disappointing. Yes, but they haven't been healthy, so I give them the path. But I, I think I should have been more critical of the whole Davion Harmon point guard situation. Well, I mean, people were saying Texas Tech gets the benefit of the doubt because of Mark Adams after one year. Um, but that was that was a vibe, and you know, it, it, they're not bad. That's that's they're, they're a high yeah. floor. They were probably making the tournament, um, yes. but that's. That's the thing, like, Fardaws was supposed to be their best or second best player. You look at Cam Whitmore, Villanova, now you got Cockburn or Creighton. It's like, they're, they're, they're all these teams that are, like, um, missing a guy where it's like, well, we, like, how can we honestly evaluate this team without their best player? The other thing, the other thing for them is that a lot of their younger guys, or a lot of their newcomers have not really played to their standard. And they were a good example of a team that had a lot of options of newcomers to step up, right? Like Pop Pop Isaacs has been way better than I think people would have expected. To be. He shoots the lights out. Lamar Washington has been much more impactful, uh, I think, than a lot of people would have projected him to be. 
but Kerwin Walton's been a zero. Elijah Fisher has been almost a zero. Uh, Demorian Williams, most of a zero. Like, I don't know how you win when you recruit three wings of the portal who also, or three wings from portal in high school, and they all stink. Demorian Williams is a good. Uh, Demorian Williams is a good second time transfer watch. And yeah, you know, on paper that that looked like a good pickup because they needed the shooting and he was going to add, add some defense. There, was like a, there were a lot of like there were like draft Twitter people like, oh wow, what a fit. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I watched. I, well, I, I should have just trust my eyes because I remember a prominent mid major program texted me one morning and was like, what do you think of Demorian Williams? And I was like, he's okay. He'd be like your third best player. And they were like, oh, we think he's really good. And I was like, eh, just okay. Just okay. And all of a sudden they can't get him. I was like, well, too bad. Maybe I was I mean, wrong. I, but I, I was correct. He's just okay. I remember you saying last preseason that mid, multiple mid-major coaches were furious that Caden Rice – picked up by Georgetown because he was a mid-major player. Well, it is hard when you're recruiting. Like, you want to recruit kids that you believe are going to be impactful at your level, right? And right. when you recruit guys who you can players, get, yeah. Right. Like, like the school that like the, the school that I'm referring to that wanted to, or like kind of was in the mix really with Demorian Williams, he goes higher. The kid they wound up with to play that shooting guard spot has not really made an impact. He's been worse. He hasn't been totally healthy, but he's been worse than the guys they already had in the program. And I think especially with NIL right now, it's it's very difficult to find guys who are upgrades. Like I talked to a a guy who was, you know, again, a mid-major head coach, and he said, look, like anyone we can get to help us in the front court last spring that we thought was was, was better than what we had, right? That was really the biggest thing was better than what we have it was going to cost us six figures. We don't have six figures, right? Like, so it's just, I think when you're, when you're a mid-major coach and you're like, okay, like you're Caden Rice, you can come play a huge role for our team, be a starter, be a huge contributor. We're like, why wouldn't you take that opportunity? You get a chance to win. You put it at Citadel, right? Like Demorian Williams, right? Like you can go to this high level mid-major program that's been in the NCAA tournament that has produced pros, like, you go to this pro, you, you go to this place, right? You get to start, you, it's a huge upgrade, obviously, you still from Gardner-Webb. You still have a re- resources and opportunity. You're going to go to Texas Tech, you're going to compete with guys that they're going to take in the portal again next month, right, like Kerman Walton. You're not going to contribute. And now now you're, now you need a runoff waiver to play next year. You got to restart again. Like, what are you doing? And, um, we should come up with a disappointing and surprise early transfer list. Yes. E- either for next time or the time after. Just like an early, early check-in. A lot of these transfers need more time. Famously, Luan Pipkins for Providence the year that COVID canceled the NCAA tournament was horrendous until like the end of January, and then he was like the best player in the country. Um, and we saw stuff like that with um, not. Mike Smith, who who was the Mich- there was a Michigan point guard I think who exploded late too. Um, uh, De- 
Devontae Jones, too. So, um, got to be patient with these guys. And as we were saying all, all offseason, the second year transfer is usually a pretty big jump, too. You know, guys yeah. um, just get, well, that, getting their, tech, their tech feet wet the first year. Yeah. What was that? But they had the Texas Tech oh, Bacho, yeah, yeah. The, but the one thing is that you have to, the, the coach has to be willing enough to let it ride a little bit. Right? Like, yeah. If you're Mark Adams and you're sitting here, like, okay, well, I have DeMorean Williams and Kerwin Walton, they stink. Am I really going to, like, just run it back with those guys and say they're going to start? Or am I going to get, you know, whichever kid hits the portal in the spring? Say, Sorry. See you later. Yeah, that's that's the real key is knowing when to take the transfer versus when to ride with the guy. Virginia um, Tech is a great it, example of ones, of a team that rode the guy with um, Padula. But also they they took my my Poti and ended up using Lynn Kidd the second year transfer instead, which, which I guess you can used always do. Anyway. Poti pretty pretty effectively as well. Um, if they've really but, rotated through those picks, it it is kind of funny though because the teams who I remember at least saying the most like why like you guys need one more transfer what are you guys doing. Um, Michigan State, Minnesota, Louisville. Um, I came with a couple other ones earlier. They they look like that. They've really needed that extra transfer. Yeah, if anything, they um, needed two. But then the, then then there's like a Marquette who I was saying, oh man, you got to get a center. You got to get a center. Um, and they're playing really well with uh, also at, at as as the full time center basically. Well, and the other uh, thing with Oso, he, Oso is playing a huge minute load, which very few right. centers are capable of doing. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. I believe that's the podcast. We are tracking because Texas is in overtime with Rice. So, you will all know what happened by the time you get this podcast, but... It would be certainly noteworthy if they lost this game after all this happened. But we will see you all next week with another edition of the pod. Talk then.